good morning. This morning, uh, we are continuing in our series of uh, Plugged In with Jesus, and uh, this is the last one of the Plugged In series, and um, you have the pleasure of hearing from my wife and I this morning. So um, I'll say in all my years of being in pastoral ministry, I don't think we've ever done this. We have not. No. <laughs> so uh, we, have, we have co-led youth, youth weeks at camps and things like that, but um, we have not ever co-led a sermon. So. <laughs> it's always the first time for everything. Yes, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, but uh, so we are, um, we're talking about how we get plugged in with Jesus, and um, one of the things... Um, with that, that we are kind of focusing on is just wanting to share a little bit about our personal experiences of kind of ha- um, how we plug in with Jesus personally um, and individually, uh, how we had to figure that out together um, as a couple when we came together. Um, and then also just kind of looking at scripture this morning and seeing how Jesus modeled um, plugging into the Father and what that looked like, and then how we can kind of incorporate that into our own lives. So uh, so the first thing we want to do is kind of walk you through an experience uh, in which both of us had to um, change our mindset a little bit about our understanding of Jesus um, and how our own perspective, more so this one, um, of Jesus was changed um, throughout this experience. Uh, so I'm going to paint the picture for you. It is uh, circa 2003. Um, Josh and I are both in college, and uh, we've been dating for a few years. Um, and the way that we approached um, Christ, church, our relationship, pretty much everything that we um, interacted upon, we approached from two different mindsets. I came from the Catholic mindset, and he came from the, the Protestant mindset. And so everything was a problem. <laughs> it was Christina versus Josh. It was Josh versus Christina. Um, And really, we did sort of view it as, okay, this is a big problem. I really like you. I mean, you're adorable. And I'd like to marry you, but this is a problem. I mean, we we can't keep going like this. Um, And so it was was very much about who was right, who was wrong. And we had quite the conversations. We did have cell phones at this time. Um, And so we would spend, um, you didn't... I don't know why. Nobody texted in 2003. It was like, you only use a cell phone to call people. You had AIM. We did have instant messenger on the computer, yes. yes. Um, But we would call each other and have these hours-long conversations. Well, they weren't really conversations. Hours-long arguments on the phone about who was right and who was wrong and, and, and God and Mary and Jesus and lots of Catholic and Protestant things being thrown around and argued about. And so, one of them... So, um, I have a picture um, to put up, you, up on the screen, um, because one particular point of discussion that um, we had to, and we thought we'd share just this one conversation, um, because it captures pretty much the whole essence of what we went through, was that of the crucifix. And so, um, as you can see, um, the crucifix is the cross, but it has Jesus on the cross. And... Um, we're not trying to make a theological point about what is okay or what not is okay, but this is just kind of a, uh, an illustration of how Christine and I had to kind of work this out and how we 
had to figure out how to appreciate and how to encourage and support each other in getting plugged into Jesus. Because how we got plugged into Jesus, like Christina said, was informed by two very different perspectives. And for most of our marriage, right, we thought that it was right and wrong, and right and wrong, and a problem, yeah. And, and so um, the crucifix was one topic uh, in our discussion that we thought was a problem. And um, for me, obviously, my understanding came from a Protestant worldview and Protestant culture. And I was attending um, what was Philadelphia Biblical University at the time. And in church history, we were learning about, um, you know, all the errors and the wrong ways of the Catholic Church and the popes of the past. And, you know, and so, and we learn about the Reformation and why Luther was this great, this great guy and, and all these things. And so, of course, I felt very entitled and empowered and informed. Um, yes, I said it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so, of course, I would call her up, and then we, you know, Christine and I would reenact our own mini-reformation. Um, and so we uh, got into a conversation about the crucifix one day, and um, I don't remember saying this, but clearly it was yeah. reported to me that I did, and I said, uh, we were conversating, and I said, and she made a comment about Jesus on the cross, and I said, and you people still have Jesus on the cross. He is risen. And um, that probably ended, yeah, <laughs> probably ended the conversation right there. Um, but that whole idea of, you know, Protestant culture was like, Jesus is risen. Why is he on the cross? He shouldn't be on the cross. We focus on the resurrection. And, um, and so then it was like, of course that's wrong that Jesus is still on the cross. And, and we kind of just like, over time, I think we just learned to not talk about it. And well, that we, was our coping mechanism. If yeah. If we just ignore it, right. then, then, we, don't have a then problem. we don't have a problem. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it was probably at some gathering at her parents that um, her best friend from high school, her mother, um, was talking about a spiritual retreat that she was on. And one of the activities in this spiritual retreat was that she was asked to make a clay sculpture of a crucifix. And she also is of a Protestant background, and she was just sharing how she was really hesitant to engage in that activity at the, at the retreat, but that she started to, and that when she did, it became such a powerful experience for her because she then walked through Christ's death on the cross, just in her own kind of knowledge. Her, her husband is a pastor, and, um, and so she's, you know, kind of very much aware of Scripture. And, and so she just was sharing about how powerful it was to sculpt her Savior on a cross and, and just the conviction in her own heart. And just hearing that personal experience for me um, really was convicting. And I had to take a step back and say, you know, Jesus did hang on the cross. Like, he did die on a cross. And that does mean something. And, and so at that point, I began to realize the significance of the crucifix. And, um, and that then, you know, um, obviously took a couple weeks for me to swallow my pride um, and approach my wife about that. But 
it, it really became a turning point on this issue. And um, now, like, the crucifix is a symbol that we welcome into our home um, because I recognize how important that is not now only in my wife's faith, but also in mine. And that Christ would have never risen from the dead if he had not been hung on a cross. And so that that image is an image that actually did happen. And sure, it could be corrupted and we can get confused by it and, and we can, but that's not what my wife was bringing into our marriage. That's not what my wife was bringing. She wasn't bringing this false idolizing of the crucifix. She was bringing her relationship with Jesus Christ as it was informed by her faith and background. And this kind of became that moment where I got to really understand, oh, this isn't about Protestant Catholic. This actually isn't a, pro- a problem. This is something for me to understand if I really want to understand my wife and I really want to understand her relationship with Jesus. And so um, we're still working that out, I'd say. (laughs) Um, There's still a lot there on that level Um, because we have spent, I think, so many years trying to agree Mm -hmm. around our our relationship with Jesus and how we plug into Jesus and how we get connected, that um, a, a lot of our, our now, our work now is undoing some of that and actually embracing each other and saying like, wow, that's really different. That's really unique in how I get plugged in with Jesus. You know, tell me more about that or what what does that speak to you? Well, and um, I think too, if I can interrupt. Sure. We have this thing with me interrupting him all the time. Um, so sometimes... We have this this kind of really false picture of, you know, when a husband and wife are um, in this beautiful Christian marriage, they approach Jesus the same way, and that's the right way. And so we, for so many years now, have tried to do the same things. Um, and regardless of what our church background is, we're two different people. Mm-hmm. Like, you love to journal. I don't write anything down. Um, so that's something, too, that really plays into that. Just having two different personalities is going to make, um, you know, a relationship in, with Christ in both of our lives show up differently. And I think that was something that we had to become okay with as well. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, definitely true. And um, I think we, one of the biggest areas that that is the case is um, and how we talk with Jesus as well. And so that's something that, um, you know, for me, uh, the, the Protestant culture and that, that my dad being a pastor as well, prayer is very much something that's fluid for me. Verbally, um, I can do it in my head and I can speak it, you know, and do the corporate kind of prayer thing. Whereas for Christina, um, words aren't, I would say words are a part of your prayer life, mm-hmm. but um, it's more like imaging images and experiences and feelings that just kind of flow through her process. And so, um, so understanding that about each other has really helped to know that like, oh, like my wife just, like she has a different way of communicating with Jesus than I do. And so if she doesn't communicate it the same way, it doesn't mean that she doesn't want to share that with me. Um, It doesn't mean that she doesn't want to 
have me understand that part of her. It's just that it's, it's different. And because it doesn't look like mine, it doesn't mean that it's any better or worse. It's just mm-hmm. your unique expression. It's your unique relationship with Jesus. So how does that fit, right? Then how does that, like, what's the takeaway out of kind of our, our, our experience? And um, I'm sure there might be personal takeaway. But I think as a, as a church, when we plug into Jesus, it's about, there is a level that I think we have to embrace the, the creativeness of who God is and how he has created his people. You know, there are, there are seven different gifts of the Spirit that he gives. So just in that, there's got to be seven different ways that people can engage Jesus out of their gifting. And, and that's just in spiritual gifts, but we know that there is a whole bunch of different distinctions within personality as well. And so although there is one Jesus, there is one Scripture, there is one Spirit, one God, one baptism, one love, but there are many peop- there are many parts of the body that make up the body of Christ, that make up the, the creativity and the, the diversity of, of who Christ is. And so I think, for me, what I've really taken away and what I challenge kind of us as we plug in with Jesus is to, to be open to the Spirit's leading, to be open to the diversity in who Christ is and who God is in our lives. Because there is, it's not so much about um, is it the right way or the wrong way or what word in Scripture validates what you just did or said, but it's about relationship. And when it's about relationship, there's going to be gray areas. And I think the church, sometimes we get very nervous about gray areas in, in theology and in doctrine and in things like that. And so in order to be more comfortable, like I wanted to be more comfortable here, I created these boundaries and these rules for my wife and I to, to function within. And I think that as a church as well, there, there are clearly some wrong things, right? I'm not trying to say that we need to be like open to everything and tolerate all, all things. But there, there is something about when we're plugging into Jesus that when we approach him with our own, uh, the things that have informed our experiences, the things that have informed our doctrine and our theology, that they may actually be limiting who Jesus is and what he wants to share of himself with us. And my experience has been um, in, in working out how we get plugged into Jesus in our marriage. My relationship with Jesus has grown immensely because I've been more open to the fact that he might speak through different things than I've kind of ruled out because of my Protestant culture or because of my, um, even my brethren influences or my family uh, history of, of faith and things like that. So, um, we have a couple of passages um, that we'd like to share um, because this is our experience, but obviously we want to um, look to God's word 
to help us know what we can take away and what we can do. And so um, we just pulled out the passages in Scripture um, that reference uh, Christ getting away to be with the Father. And so you have the first couple for us, right? I do, yes. Um, and so what we really um, tried to focus on here was, you know, relating it back to our story of um, with Josh being kind of uncomfortable with that crucifix image that was really a barrier to being able to hear Christ speak through that to him. And so even though these, I mean, we don't do all of these things that Jesus did. Like, we don't do them well. Actually. Yeah, we're not experts. No, this, we no. were talking through it, and we were like, oh, man, we don't do these. Ooh, that's, should we be talking about them? But it's what Christ did. Um, so, yes, we should be talking about them. And some of them might make you uncomfortable. Like, being alone and quiet with God makes me uncomfortable because then I start hearing things that I'm not really sure I want to listen to. But again, if you're uncomfortable with something, that might be a barrier of actually listening to Christ. So um, the first one is uh, Luke chapter 6. And we didn't pinpoint specific verses. We just kind of took the chapter as a whole to really walk through um, the, the moments in Christ's life at that point. So uh, Luke chapter 6 um, starts with Jesus preaching in the synagogue. He's then healing uh, different people out on his own. And he has not yet chosen his disciples. Uh, So what happens is that he retreats to the mountain to pray um, and also for safety because the Pharisees were coming after him. They were upset with his teaching. Um, But that's where he decided to uh, start to discern over his choice of disciples. Um, And this was an um, an interesting passage to really think about while we were preparing this because Obviously, Jesus is God, and so he has this, um, this passion, this desire to commune with you know, his father, um, but he's also human. And so in his humanity, he goes to the father not just for love of relationship, but also for help discerning, and, and that's what we do. Um, you know, we have our elder team up here often saying, and we've spent time in prayer, and we've spent time discerning X, Y, and Z, and, and that's one of the reasons that we, you know, that we go into prayer time corporately or alone um, with God. Um, and there was something that Josh read while we were looking at this scripture online. Um, so he's doing, Jesus is doing all this discerning about who shall I call as my disciples? And a line that he read, it, it gave me chills at the kitchen table. Uh, it said, how much discernment uh, did Christ go through over the choice of Judas? I mean, he discerned to bring Judas into that intimate group. And, and that was a result of spending time alone with God. Uh, and just, just to think how much, how much time and thought and prayer went into that. Um, so... We put these in chronological order. So Luke chapter 6 is before he has even chosen his disciples. Now we move into Mark chapter 1, um, which some of these, because they're the same stories um, in different perspectives, overlap a little bit. So Mark chapter 1 does overlap Luke. Um, but this is where Jesus is baptized. He then goes to spend 40 days in the wilderness. This is where he calls his first disciples, um, after which he spends a whole evening healing hundreds and thousands of people. And then it says he rises very early in the morning to go to a desolate place to pray. So a couple of things from this passage. Um, First of all, this is really early on in his ministry. And he already, partially because he is God, but he already knows the benefit of getting alone with God. Um, This isn't something, you know, for us humans, it takes sometimes a lot longer uh, 
um, to realize the benefit of this. But Jesus very clearly models this for us. At the very beginning of his ministry, he makes the time, he sets aside the time, and he goes to pray uh, and be alone with God. Um, Something else that stuck out to me was he had just spent 40 days in the wilderness, and then he rose very early in the morning to go to a desolate place to pray. And I was like, whoa, now, you just spent 40 days in the wilderness. Wasn't that enough? Like, you, you just did 40 days alone. Why are we alone again? I'm really social. I like people. I'm like, that's a lot of alone time. But if you think about it, even though it's alone time, it doesn't mean that it was um, time spent. He, it specifically says time to go away and pray. Um, we know that Jesus did pray. You know, he, he was tempted by the devil in, in the wilderness. Um, but that made me think of my own life. I don't spend 40 days in the wilderness, but, you know, sometimes being home with two kids during the day hmm, feels like 40 days in the wilderness. Um, and just because I've been alone, like the only adult in the house for nine hours, doesn't actually mean I've been alone. Some of you might have, you know, my sister spends like an hour and a half in the car to work and then back for work. So she spends between two and three hours a day alone in the car. And if that's her prayer time, beautiful. And if it's not, recognize that even though you've already spent time alone, it, it might still, uh, that, that might not be the, t- the time that God is calling you to. Um, and then the last part of uh, Mark chapter one, um, in this passage, he rises very early in the morning, and then it says he departed, he left. Uh, And so sometimes, again, taking that back to our lives, that's what we need to do. We need to physically get up and leave. And we'll be talking a little bit later about how some of the ways that Josh and I have done that and continue to do that in our marriage. Um, But that can be a really important part to people getting away to to be with with God, is to physically leave. You stay there, I'm going to go, because... I need to be alone. Uh, So that was Mark chapter one. And then the last one I'm going to talk about is Matthew chapter 14. Uh, He feeds the 5,000. And then it says he immediately sends his disciples away and retreats alone up the mountain. And the big takeaway from uh, from me for this one is that um, he, it says, I, I love when the Bible uses really specific words. And so the ESV version says he immediately sends his disciples away. Like that's in there for a reason, you know? Um, so knowing that, that it was so important to him that he didn't do anything else after feeding the 5,000, but immediately send his people away. And this is the opposite of Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, he says, you stay here, I'm gonna go. But in, after feeding the 5,000, he sends his disciples away. He recognizes, again, his need for getting alone time with God and says, okay, I'm going to stay here. You guys go, and this is where they, they go across. He says, I'll meet you on the other side of the, the lake or the sea, of the sea of Galilee. Thank you. And, um, and so he sends his disciples away to the next place where he's going to meet them. Um, there's a little bit before, uh, before the feeding of the 5,000, he, um, he has, he, gets news of the death of his cousin, uh, John the Baptist. Um, And he was actually planning on going on retreat. He was planning on getting away with God at that point. But he hears the news of uh, his death and has compassion on the people who are following him and seeking healing and seeking his message. And so um, he pauses and he he knows, again, that time alone with God is, is crucially important. But if Jesus was, and if Jesus was really, really legalistic about it, 
he would have said, I'm sorry, I, I don't have compassion on you. I, I need to get away. And that's what he would have done. But there's that balance where he's able to see, yes, I need to get time away, but, but I have such compassion on these people that I'm, I'm going to pause that and I'm going to um, physically and spiritually feed them and then I'm going to send my people away and then I'm going to have my alone time. Um, so that is Matthew chapter 14. John chapter 6 picks up with the same story, but it's from the perspective of John. And so there are some differences um, between John chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. Um, One of the differences is that in John chapter 6, again, Jesus doesn't um, send the people away, which Matthew reports. He withdraws from the people. And this is, again, after the feeding of the 5,000. what John says is that he withdrew from the people because they were so enamored with the miraculous sign that he had just completed that they wanted to take him and make him king. And so he withdraws away, and then it says later, after withdrawing away, he sends his disciples down the mountain to the Sea of Galilee to cross over and meet them on the other side. Both, though, point to the urgency of getting away. In that moment, the people were, were kind of on the cusp of, of taking him and making him king. And he was like, no, if I stay here any longer, it's not going to be good. I need to get away. Both in Matthew, which Christina highlighted, is that word immediately. The immediately provides like that sense of urgency. Um, but both speak to the sense of urgency in getting away and getting alone with God. And um, I think that's often... Um, likely something that is not in the pattern of our life. Like maybe if there is a crisis, some of us will go to prayer right away. Um, But I think for the most part, we tend to think that we need to address the situation or or deal with whatever is is in front of us so that we can get away. And um, there are moments, right? Like you were talking about that balance. Um, There are those moments where withdrawing or sending people away because you just need to be with God is, is important. And it, it requires being in tune to yourself and what God is saying in your heart in that way. Then the last one uh, that we want to look at is Luke chapter 5. Um, and this again, um, in Luke chapter 5, this is the beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry. And so he actually just got done calling Peter um, Peter and James from, uh, from fishing into becoming fishers of men. And so he is just at the, the beginning of kind of establishing his ministry. And he has been, he has been teaching. He has been, um, <laughs> he has been teaching and he has been um, speaking with people all over the place, healing and whatever. And so he, he's just, he's right in it, you know, and his, he begins calling disciples. And Luke just says, and um, the way he reads it, I think we could read it, that he, like, is is telling you a a moment where Jesus pulled out. But I think what actually Luke is saying is that, um, that Jesus gets away. Like, in the midst of all the ministry that Jesus is doing, he takes time and it's a pattern of his life to withdraw and be alone with Jesus. And 
And all those situations that we referenced before are, are specific examples of how Jesus does that. But Jesus makes it a priority to get alone with the Father. And, and I love that in, in each kind of scenario, there was something different that led up to Jesus sensing the need to get alone with the Father, whether it would be a, a, a great evangelistic push, you know, of feeding the 5,000. Right afterwards, go back to the Father, get grounded, right? Whether it be this, um, from John's perspective, of the great, this great message that Jesus preached, the great miracles that he did, and the people having the wrong response, Jesus withdraws. You know, is that because he feels the temptation to accept the kingship? And he's like, that's not the call, and I need to get back to my father, so I stay focused on what he wants? I don't know. Whether maybe it's just, maybe he's so grieved by their response that he is feeling discouraged, and so he needs to pull back and get with God. Whatever it was, he knew that what he was feeling, he needed to be with the father to process through that. And, um, and it's just his pattern. And I think, um, I don't know that we've created a rhythm in our own life around getting alone with God. Um, but it ironically has been the one place that like has, where we, we both have, I think, very um, strongly supported that mm-hmm. in each other. And so um, not that we do this perfectly by any means, um, nor that, or couldn't do it better. That is that discipline of getting alone with the Father uh, we've seen modeled in, in friends of ours, and, and we see it in their lives. We also see the lack of it in some of our friends' lives, and we're, we see that, like, wow, this is actually, like, it's really valuable. And um, it doesn't matter who you are. It's valuable for everyone to have the opportunity to get away and be alone with God. And um, when we say alone with God, uh, sometimes... You know, depending, depending on a lot of things, that can and does look very different. Um, sometimes it's, you know, Josh will be talking about something where he has like 10 to 15 minutes of transition time, you know, a few times a week. And sometimes we're talking about a whole weekend. Um, so it doesn't have to be this monstrous event that your entire life plans around, but it also shouldn't just be one, one weekend a year. Um, so that's, I think, how a bunch of our examples fit in that yeah so um one thing that i've um actually did for the first time this year um was at the there's this um place off of newman college called the franciscan spiritual retreat center and um i they have these little buildings these little cottages called hermitage hermitages and um there are these basically a one room cabin with a with a bathroom and a little kitchenette and so um, for $35, you can stay there for 24 hours. And so um, I got to do that. Um, it was a Christmas gift from my wife. Um, I sent him away. Yes. She's like, Bye-bye. I love you. Go away. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, she got me that. And um, it, was just, it was just amazing, you know, to um, just get away. You know, and I, I was in this little place. And it was really unstructured. There's nothing. There's yeah, no it's events. just you. Um, you have to bring your own food and everything, and, and it's just you. And so it was just me. They had um, trails to go on, but it was just get, taking time um, to do that, you know, and, and to get away and to be in prayer and, 
was just, it was awesome, you know? And I, like, honestly, going in, I was like, wow, this could be really boring um, or really bad if God doesn't, like, show up, you know? Um, but Did he show up? He showed up, and it was amazing. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you give yourself time and scriptures and journaling and prayer was just, it was um, just really rich for me in that experience. And Josh Blightwork has been there as well as yeah. Dave Willauer? I think so. I think they both have, yeah, mm-hmm. stayed at these places as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about camp too? Um, yeah, the other thing is uh, Camp Satara. I've done that as well um, in the past um, where I've gone up there and stayed overnight um, in, one of their, um, in, in one of their staff houses. Um, and with that same intention of just getting away and having space and having time to be in prayer and alone with God. Uh, my parents growing up gave me a really great example um, of what it is, what it's like to have a a really structured, um, and by structured I mean like one weekend a year spiritual retreat. Both my parents have gone on a spiritual retreat at least once a year. Actually, my mother goes on them quite frequently now that all of her kids are out of the house. Um, uh, so they just gave me a really great example of that. I mean, I remember, oh, I remember those weekends, being young. My mother would leave the three of us home with my father, and it was, we were not so happy with her. But she was, <laughs> she was convicted that she needed to go, and she had been going on retreats with her mother and sister and sister-in-law for, I mean, years. Like my entire life, I, my mom went on one. And um, the, the year that you turn 18... Uh, you go, you go with mom. So my sister and I have been going, um, I've been going, I guess, since I was 18. Um, and we, we've gone to a, a bunch of different spiritual retreat centers. Um, some weekends are more structured than others, but again, it is getting away. Um, it's not the, um, the same structure or right. Lack. Well, yours was kind of like an unstructured, it was like a, mm-hmm. not a lack of structure. That sounds bad, but, um, the, the weekends that we go on are, um, you know, we have different speakers and uh, different activities that really challenge you, um, you know, within your, your walk uh, with Christ. But uh, that's really important to us um, and something that um, Josh has really seen is so important to me. Um, not only my personal relationship with God, but my faith relationship with my mom and my sister and my aunt and all of these women who have gone. I've had a friend here from Parker Ford come with me, and uh, it's just a really beautiful time. Uh, we always go to women's treats because we like to leave the men at home, um, but they have plenty of ones for couples, and um, so that's just something that's really important um, to me. So those are kind of the big expressions. Something a little bit less um, is that, you know, I am here at church, and then I also have my private counseling business. And for me, like, it does take a mental transition for as well. And so a lot of times I will, um, I will leave church a little bit early. Um, you know, if I have a 3 o'clock appointment, I'll leave here at, like, 1, 1.30. And I will actually stop at a park, or I'll just sit in my car somewhere and just take, like, 20 to 30 minutes to, to just be in prayer and to be transitioning because— I know like the the like what my mind has to be focused on here is different than where my mind has to be with my clients. And so a lot of times I will take that time and um just just be, you know, because I know that if I'm going to be what Christ 
needs me to be in my counseling session as well as in church. I need to be grounded in him, and I need to be able to let go of what I'm carrying from one role to the next. And so um, oftentimes I'll just pause and take intentional time to do that as well. Uh, on, a, on a more daily um, basis, um, a number of you are very familiar with uh, If Gathering. We, um, Parker Ford hosted an If Gathering event here in February of this year, and they have um, a great devotional that they send out in your email Monday through Friday. It's called If Equip, uh, and it's um, either a, a scripture verse or um, some sort of reflection. And then um, the best part, because I, I tend to read these either like early in the morning or late at night, and my eyes are going like this, but I can listen really well. Uh, and so it's a video clip. And sometimes I'll just close my eyes and just listen. It's these two women just discussing, um, just having a conversation with each other about whatever the passage was. So I like to do those um, Monday through Friday. Um, I have some books at home. Uh, Josh is going to talk about one that he uses. I have one called Psalm Redux, uh, and it's a woman who um, rewrote um, a, a number of the Psalms um, as almost like a, um, what's that type of poetry that's, oh, like stream of consciousness, um, where she just kind of, it's not like a rewritten Psalm, like, oh, now it's more modern, like the message. It's, it's, she takes like the idea behind it and, and, and writes almost like another psalm in a stream of consciousness poem. Uh, it's just, I really like how they sound and they, I love to read them against a psalm and really see how the two of them correlate. Um, and then something else that right now, uh, just with being home with the kids, um, I don't have a lot of time to just sit and read, um, but I ha- we have worship music on in our house mm-hmm. Pretty much all the time. The kids are always like, can we please put Disney on? And we're like, no, this is Jesus music. Let's keep it on. Um, And the other day, I had a uh, dear friend who was sitting in your midst grant me an hour of alone time. I was the only human in my house. And I made meatballs. And it was... That was an act of worship for me. I love making meatballs. Um, But I I had worship music playing at the same time. It was quiet in my house. I was cooking, which is like, this is like my spiritual... mm. I love to cook. Um, And I had some of my favorite songs, my favorite worship songs were coming on the radio. And I am standing there at the stove rolling these these balls of raw meat around, just like singing and praising. And it was was probably the best worship time I've had in like the last month over these meatballs. And it was, I'm like, this God is meeting me where I am because this is about all the time I have in life right now. And he knows what speaks to me. And I'm in my element. I'm in my moment. And and that was just, it was a really neat example of God being like, no, I come to you. I come to you in the meatballs. I come to you in the music. Uh, like I'm coming to you and I, and I know you're coming to me um, in this moment that I've prepared for you. So that's something that we like to do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell you the meatball story. That was the first time you heard that. I know. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Well. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the books that I like to use is, it's called 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God. And it, it is like a little devotional, but then it also walks you through centering prayer. Um, and just prayer that really helps me know who I am and in, in, in my identity in Christ and building that into. Um, and then this is a journal that I also just make sure I note things that are pertinent to my relationship with Christ as well. So those are just uh, some things that we do uh, that we thought we'd share with you as like how we express getting plugged into Jesus. It's a little bit of our story too as to how we have grown um, in our understanding of Jesus. And we hope that, um, yeah, you were blessed by this time and have uh, something to take away from it as well. So would you pray with us?
Father God, we, um, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and uh, we thank you for his death and resurrection. And uh, just, Lord, the, the beautiful picture of redemption that that provides for us is, is amazing and is so loving. Um, I, we just pray that, Father, as we continue to just journey with you, that we would understand more deeply who your son is, that we would plug into him and, and that the barriers that we have in our own lives from fear or insecurities or whatever, Lord, that would seek to define your son would fall away. And that uh, your spirit would uh, prompt us to be open. Your spirit would guide us to receive the meaning and the person, Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.